0: The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member, and we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at TNTradio.live. You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT.
1: Yes, we do, in fact, have stuff for your furry friends, but also Aunt Dolores. So check out the TNT Radio shop, tntradio.live backslash shop. Uh, There's lots of stuff over there, tons of stuff, anything you want uh, that's probably over there. So definitely get you some swag. Uh, And hey there, welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on TNT Radio. Appreciate you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. And boy, do we have things to discuss. Okay, y'all, we've been talking all week about... The NDAA, Section 702, big surprise, it passed the House. So uh, it obviously passed the Senate earlier a couple days ago. Uh, Yesterday, the House voted on it, um, and it definitely passed unfortunately. So passed 310 voted in, uh, in favor, 118 voted against. 163 Democrats voted in favor, 147 Republicans. Republicans voted in favor of this thing. Uh 45 Democrats against 73 Republicans against. Uh makes me very angry. The 4th amendment means absolutely nothing to these people. Um I will say though I have um I've tweeted out a list of the uh, a roll call, a list of names. Uh, many people have Justin Amash, I think Thomas Massey has uh, numerous people have tweeted out a list go and check it and see where your representative uh, voted and then uh, act accordingly. Um uh, my representative uh uh did not vote the way I wanted him to and so I let him know. Um and you should do the same. If your representative uh voted in favor of this thing, make sure you uh let them know that you are not <laughs> a fan of that vote. Um and on the con- on the opposite side of that, if your uh representative voted against it, um thank them and maybe thank them publicly because i think that that's uh, and also uh, criticize those who voted in favor of it publicly i think that that kind of um uh, that mass public pressure we talk about that a lot on this show i think that that's always something that we should engage in i think that that helps when they see it doesn't i don't think it helps a, a, a tremendous amount because they don't care about us they only care about their donors um but i do think that it does have some some influence and we should use that to our advantage whenever we can um even if it is just a tiny bit uh, that it might move the needle it's a worthwhile attempt. Um uh so that is unfortunate, makes me very angry, but there you have it. So um <laughs> they don't care about your privacy you all. Um also, I wanted to mention uh, Stella Assange, Julian Assange's wife. Um tweeted out an action call today so she tweeted out action call united states we need your help call your representatives to sign on to this resolution so there's a new resolution uh that was uh introduced by representative gozar gozar uh he's a republican from arizona um and the title of it is a little it is what it is um it's house resolution 934 expressing the sense of the House of Representatives that regular journalistic activities are protected under the First Amendment and that the United States ought to drop all charges against and attempts to extradite Julian Assange. So I agree with that second part. I'm a little hung up on the regular journalistic activities. The inclusion of the word regular there is a little strange to me. Um, I think just journalistic activities would have been just fine uh, to include there. However, um, it is another um, uh, resolution that we can try to gain uh, support for in the house um so go and find your representative's phone number email twitter whatever it is uh, and encourage them to sign on to house resolution 934 Um, as we have talked about ad nauseum here on this show. Julian Assange is currently awaiting a decision from the high court in the UK, um, in regards to the recent request for appeal. So, um, we have no idea when that decision is coming as has always been the case in this, uh, whole saga. There's never a deadline. There's never a date. There's never a, Hey, this decision is coming on December 17th, 2023 at, you know, 3 PM. It's never like that. It is always just kind of left in the air. We are always in a perpetual state of wait. Um, And this is no different. So the last um, decision from the High Court, I think, took eight or nine months, which was ridiculous. Um, And then they just gave a a very vague three page denial of the appeal. So um, that is what we are currently waiting on. um, And it's Really, kind of the end game. We're kind of, we've reached sort of the end. There are a couple other potential legal opportunities that Julian Assange can explore, but they are very kind of tenuous um, uh, possibilities. For example, going to the European Court of Human Rights. If you're not paying attention to that, that relationship with the UK and the European Court of Human Rights is kind of not great at this point so we're not even sure if uh the uk would even um uh, recognize a a decision from the european court of human rights so um uh, if this decision comes out and it is a denial of the request for appeal assange could in fact be extradited within you know hours of that decision coming down i personally am not i don't think that they want to bring him here so i think that almost certainly they're going to try to drag this out even longer maybe they'll um Uh, accept the appeal go through that process and then keep kicking the can down the road they do not want him here and i think in particular they don't want him here in an election year so um but still we need to put as much pressure on the united states government in specific because that's where the charges um stem from so uh please contact and especially right now your house representatives and encourage them to sign on to house resolution 934 okay Don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at sarcasmstardust. Check out the substack, .substack mistywinston.substack.com. There's a write-up for the guests of the day every day so you can find follow and support their work as well and if you would like shoot me an email Misty Winston at tntradio.live guest idea show idea whatever it is a couple of you have hit me up with some really good show ideas i'm going to do a little bit of research on so thank you for that um and also uh don't forget there are many ways that you can listen to tnt radio as well as watch tnt radio now that we have tnt radio vision um so you can stream us direct from your website uh from the website tntradio.live on your desktop Uh, tablet, or mobile device. You can download the app, which is how I choose to listen, uh, from the App Store, Google Play, Apple App Store, either one. Uh, And we even stream live, also on video, on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. So we have got you covered right here on TNT Radio.
0: Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day, and I got to listen. Can't get enough of that. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: All right. A brief provision in the massive $886 billion bill funding the Pentagon. $886 billion. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, Funding the Pentagon will likely kill former President Donald Trump or any potential future president's ambitions to withdraw the United States from the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, otherwise known as NATO. Here with this story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. This is not a surprise, my friend, but tell me what's going on here.
2: Yeah, fun little addendum to the the sad news today about the NDAA. Uh, but yeah, so um, it looks like they managed to sneak something in that would prevent uh, not just Trump, basically any president, from getting us out of NATO which we probably need to do ASAP. But hey, anyway, uh, I guess it's going to make it more difficult now, Misty. As you said, no surprise. Uh, Senators Tim Kaine, a Virginia Democrat, and Marco Rubio, a Florida Republican, teamed up to muscle their bill, which would require an act of Congress or Senate approval to leave NATO into what is often deemed a must-pass bill that funds service members and outlines national security priorities. In other words, it was a pretty sneaky move to do this. Um, Yeah. Uh, President Joe Biden is expected to sign the legislation into law. The Senate passed the overall legislation 87 to 13. Uh, Then, as you pointed out, Misty, the House passed it today, Friday on, well, this report says 310 to 118 vote. I'm pretty sure those are the numbers. In a statement after the Pentagon funding bill passed the Senate, uh, Senator Keynes said, quote, the Senate's vote today to pass my bipartisan bill to prevent any U.S. president from unilaterally withdrawing from NATO reaffirms U.S. support for this crucial alliance that is foundational for our national security. It also sends a strong message to authoritarians around the world that the free world remains united, end quote. (laughs) Ha 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 ha, very funny. Uh, Kane and Rubio failed to pass their bill when Trump was in the White House. Trump is not mentioned directly in the provision. He has also not explicitly promised to withdraw from what was originally a Cold War era alliance. Nonetheless, there are persistent fears that if Trump wins the 2024 presidential election, he will withdraw the U.S. from NATO. Personally, I don't think – I'm not scared of that. Anyway, uh, as the New York Times pointed out recently, Trump's campaign website does include this vague sentence. Quote, we have to finish the process we began under my administration of fundamentally reevaluating NATO's purpose and NATO's mission, end quote. Well, I mean I- – Let's just take that completely out of context, right? Uh, A Trump spokesperson did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the provision. Uh, By the way, this is a report from Business Insider. I'm borrowing from Heavily today. Uh, The former president has been harshly critical of NATO for decades in a 2000 book. Trump wrote that pulling back from the alliance, quote, would save this country millions of dollars annually. The cost of stationing NATO troops in Europe is enormous. Huge. Uh, and he said enormous. <laughs> quote, and these are clearly funds that can be put to better use. End quote. As president, he harangued NATO members for not spending enough on their defense. I remember this, pushing to double the 2% of GDP spending target to a point that not even the U.S. had met. Trump also unnerved some NATO members by questioning the collective defense provision that is at the core of the alliance. Article 5 has only been invoked since. Uh, just once in NATO's 74-year history after the September 11th attacks. That's right. In an interview with then Fox News host Tucker Carlson, Trump questioned why the U.S. would want to defend Montenegro, which joined NATO in 2019. Uh, Here's what he told Carlson at the time. Quote, I understand what you're saying. i would asked the same question. Uh, end quote. This is when T- uh, Carlson asked about the collective defense requirement. He went on to say, quote, Montenegro is a tiny country with very strong people. They are very aggressive people. They may get aggressive. And congratulations, you're in World War Three. Now, I understand that, but that's the way it was set up. End quote. Now, Misty, it's not entirely clear if Trump or any president could unilaterally unilaterally pull the nation out of NATO, even if the provision did not pass. The U.S. Constitution requires presidents to seek Senate approval for treaties, but there are disagreements on whether Senate approval is needed to end a treaty. As the Times pointed out, courts have previously tried to avoid settling such uh, disputes. Under this provision, a president would be required to notify key committees in both the House and Senate no later than 180 days before deliberating whether to, quote, suspend, terminate, denounce, or withdraw, end quote, from NATO. Now, if a president pressed forward, a withdrawal would require an act of Congress or two-thirds of the senators present to approve of such an action. And as Business Insider points out, rightedly so, Misty, unless there is a dramatic change in U.S. politics, it's hard to see any leader ever crossing that bar. But what do you think?
1: No question, but I think it's funny too that the, it says the the U.S. Constitution requires presidents to seek Senate approval for treaties. It also requires, um, uh you know, uh, for war. But we we're in multiple their conflicts, though, Adam. That's how they get around that. But um, yeah, and also I just want to point out that Tim Kaine and Marco Rubio both both of them voted in favor of including uh the FISA warrantless surveillance in the NDAA. So that's just another little cherry on top. Now, um, I also uh, wanted to mention too that the you know you're talking about the way that they. Step these provisions into this, these kinds of things. Um, so McCarthy, who was the former speaker of the house actually supported, uh, the whole one bill, one vote. So, which is, uh, like, to me, it's the most obvious thing in the world. You should, each individual bill should have each, an, an, an individual vote based on the merits of that individual thing. Uh, that's not how it works. Um, they just like to stuff all kinds of things into massive bills that nobody reads, y'all. No, come on. Not a single one of the people who voted on this thing read it. I guarantee you, not in its entirety. It would be impossible to do. Um, so, uh, unfortunately, Johnson, the guy that took over as uh, Speaker of the House uh, just a couple of months ago, I think, he does not support that uh, effort. So, um, uh, but yeah, I think that uh, no surprise here. This is something that they've been talking about for a long time. It's weird that I um, uh, I do agree with Trump, but not for the same reasons. We definitely need to pull out of NATO. He has very different reasons than I have for wanting to pull out of NATO. In fact, NATO just needs to be uh, disbanded in general. But yeah, not a surprise. I think most people saw this coming. They've been talking about it. As you mentioned, uh, it says in the article, it, since uh, Trump was uh, first uh, mentioning it during his presidency. So not a surprise. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Adam? It's crazy.
2: It is crazy. I mean, it, your your point about looking at each individual bill um, separately, what, are you crazy, Misty? I mean, that, that <laughs> you, that, they'd have to do their job. They'd have to work. They'd actually have to know what they're signing off on. I think right? that could kill the whole lobbying game, right, where they are just get pressure to just vote. Just vote yes. Just vote yes. You know, they're all – you know, they get their – they're told how to vote. That That's basically yes. the saddest thing about this. It's not even – it's us. You, you, you said you called your representative. I'm sure a lot of the listeners did, and then they went ahead and voted for it anyway. And now we have to tell them, I'm so disappointed in you. And they don't care. They absolutely they do don't not. give a flying you-know-what, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: No, they don't. They don't have reason to. We don't uh, we don't line their pockets and uh, their donors do. And that's the only thing that they care about. And it's that's why it's so frustrating that, um, you know, I tell people to make these phone calls. And obviously, I, I do it for a reason. I don't. And I say it all the time. I don't necessarily think that it's going to make much difference. But something like that only takes a couple of minutes. And I think we should use all of the tools at our disposal uh, in the fight against this kind of stuff. And so making a two minute phone call, I think, is a very worthwhile effort, uh, even if it makes uh, limited, if any difference at all. Um, But I do think a lot of people called on this. And so um, I think, I don't know, it's just, it is just so unbelievably frustrating that they are so actively and openly working against the people. I mean, they, uh, they just do not care. They do not. Your government does not care about you, about what you think, about what you want, about what's good for you, they don't care. If you don't offer them millions of dollars in cushy lobbying positions after they leave office, they don't care at all about uh, anything that you have to say. And that's just the reality of our country. So uh, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. I appreciate you. As always, we will talk to you again tomorrow and hang tight. We're going to be right back here on TNT Radio.
0: You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently, and it made me laugh, that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything, when we go to the city, kind of appears normal, unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
2: People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I
1: wasn't working, so I had all of these hospital bills and we had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement.
3: I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes
0: Undetected because no one is looking for it.
2: For more information
0: and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now or blood clotting after the COVID 19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness, lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio.
1: All right, our guest today is independent journalist Vanessa Beely. Vanessa uh, has done incredible work on the Middle East on the ground in Syria, Egypt, Iraq, and Palestine and has also been covering Yemen extensively since 2015. She was a finalist in 2017 for the prestigious Martha Gellhorn Prize for Journalism, was named as one of the 238 most respected journalists in the UK by the British National Council for the Training of Journalists in 2018 and won the Serena Shim Award for Uncompromised Integrity in Journalism in 2019. Her work has appeared in numerous outlets, including Mint Press News, Russia Today, UK Column, Last American Vagabond, Sputnik Radio, and 21st Century Wire. And she's also one of my personal all-time favorite journalists and people. Uh, So, Vanessa, thanks so much for coming back to the show. I know it's very, very late for you there in Damascus.
3: (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Misty. I can't guarantee that we're not going to hear Israeli missiles at some point. This is usually their attack time.
1: (laughs) That that just made my heart stop a little bit but okay <laughs> um, okay so I know that uh, the issue of Palestine has been something that you have been very passionate about for many many years go- even going back to your youth um, and I just I just want to take a second since I have you here um, to personally thank you for the work that you've done on the subject because um, for me when people hear me di- differentiate between journalism and real journalism as I do all the time you are what I consider to be a real journalist you actually go to the places that you are talking about you immerse yourself in the culture whenever you can. And to me, that's the height of what um, the kind of journalism that you do should be. Um, and so it's why I refuse to call myself a journalist uh, because I have so much respect for people like you, the work that you do, Eva, uh, various other people. Um, I wouldn't dare include myself in that same conversation. Um, and, and your work on Palestine has been hugely important and also incredibly influential on me in the way that I see this conflict. So um, I, w- I just want to start by getting your current take or your, your general take on the current situation. I mean, many Zionists. Propagandists would have us believe that this whole thing happened in a vacuum and that it just started on October 7th. Uh, But that's, of course, far from true. Not only does it go back to 1948 and the Nakba, but really even before that. Uh, But I just want to get your general impression on what's currently happening in Palestine.
3: Yeah, well, thanks, Misty, and thanks for that. I mean, I would also like to give a shout out to the journalists, of course, inside Gaza and in West Bank that are daily bringing us uh, information that otherwise we wouldn't have this genocide would be going on in a vacuum without them and i think now the the number of killed journalists by the zionist entity is uh, 87 Uh, and and that includes their entire families it's not only the journalists that are being assassinated and they are literally being targeted and assassinated, not only in Palestine, but in Lebanon as well, in southern Lebanon, as we know. Um, so the situation at the moment, of course, is what I call it is, is a U.S.-Israel genocide project in Palestine. And it's not only in Gaza, it's in the West Bank. And, of course, there's no... Hamas in uh, West Bank, and yet the, the genocide is ongoing there as well. Maybe not quite as overtly, or maybe simply because we are being so distracted by the horrific images that we're seeing on, a, on an almost minute-by-minute basis as Israel exterminates the 2.4 million Palestinians in Gaza and displaces them from the north to the south and then bombs the south or displaces them to hospitals or to uh, UN refugee centers and then bombs the hospitals and the UN refugee centers. You know, there has been so much hysteria about what allegedly happened on October the 7th. And of course, as I predicted actually on the, the aftermath of October the 7th on the 8th, that we shouldn't rush to judgment. We should have learnt by now historically that the propaganda that takes us to war is invariably a lie. And that's exactly what is being proven right now. Where, you know, we know now that, that the Israelis themselves uh, killed many of the civilians at the uh, so-called peace rave that was being held in the shadow of, you know, one of the largest concentration camps in history, which is Gaza. Um, And that also that they had no regard for their own hostages. They've had no regard for their own hostages inside Gaza because they're bombing indiscriminately. They're talking about flooding uh, the the kind of labyrinth of of tunnels underneath Gaza. And one thing that people really need to understand that I found out when I was in Gaza in 2013 and I met with an archaeologist whose name escapes me right now, but he's world-renowned. And he told me, "Look, you know, Gaza is a city built on a city. Many people don't know that. So the fact that they, the the tunnels exist goes back for centuries, yeah. right? So you know, the, this whole the thing is the framing um, of this entire genocide. I'm not even going to call it a conflict.
1: Yes, um,
3: thank you. Is so slanted towards." the Zionist agenda and, of course, the US agenda. Look, at the end of the day, Israel is another proxy of the US. And by the US, of course, I'm talking also about the UK and EU member states that are supporting Israel. Britain created the Zionist settler colonialist project. Uh, The US took over kind of the running of the project. And effectively, You know, even if you look at the map of Greater Israel, which takes in 70% of Syria, 50% of uh, Iraq, all of Jordan, part of Saudi Arabia, uh, all of Egypt up to the Nile. This isn't isn't an Israeli plan. This is a U.S. plan to have full control of the Middle East. Right. You know, th- this yeah. is what people really need to understand to stop divorcing Israel from the US. For sure. And, and it is, the, I beneath. often call
1: it the, f- yeah. the 51st state. It is the 51st state yeah. of the United States of America. So many people were trying to say Ukraine is the 51st state. I'm like, no, it's the 52nd because Israel has long been the 51st <laughs> yeah. state of the United States. And we have been, that's what's so frustrating about the way that this is being uh, discussed is that it, you're right. It is so divorced from historical reality. And that's how it's always been. Mm. I think that we've seen that take uh, place time and time again. Anytime a situation like this uh, erupts in the region uh, with Israel all, almost always being the aggressor and people keep saying that oh but do you condemn Hamas no uh because it, this didn't happen like Hamas didn't just wake up one day and decide we're gonna go kill some Israelis for no reason this is decades of being brutalized mm. by Israel uh and it, it's so frustrating to me that so many people want you to condemn Hamas but aren't speaking anything about uh condemning the uh what Israel is doing with with the backing of western countries so we have to take a quick break and get headlines but hang tight we're gonna be right back here on TNT radio Check this
0: out! News Talk Radio, TNT Radio News.
2: For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Representative Barry Loudermilk, who chairs the House Administration Subcommittee on Oversight, has revealed that House Speaker Mike Johnson is significantly enhancing the scope, intensity, and resources of the ongoing January 6 investigation. Australia is currently evaluating a request from the United States to deploy a naval vessel to the Middle East amidst escalating tensions in the Red Sea related to the Israel-Hamas conflict.
0: We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth, from government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's News Talk, this is TNT Radio. All
1: right. We are here joined by Vanessa Bealy. We're talking about Israel, Palestine. And uh, just before the break, I mentioned that there are so many people who, uh, all they want you to do is condemn Hamas. That's the only conversation that they want to have. And it's people like Piers Morgan, like what a, what a douche canoe. I mean, this guy, that's the only question he ever wants to ask anybody. And it's so frustrating to me because how dare you, you white, rich Western guy sitting in your comfortable little studio criticizing the resistance of Hamas. And listen, I I don't know if what Hamas is doing is good or if it's going to be beneficial or if it's productive to their cause. I have no idea. It's not my business. I'm not there. And it's so frustrating to me that people... I just wonder if you are in that situation, if you are somebody who is living in Gaza, and your family for decades has been under brutal occupation, living in an apartheid state, your kids are uh, snipers are shooting at your kids, they're, um, you know, uh, only allowing in enough food to um, uh, keep you alive, you don't have access to clean water, unemployment's through the roof, you are you can't leave, even if you need medical treatment, you can't leave, you are literally stuck in a concentration camp, what would you do? What's the proper response to that? And it's so frustrating that nobody's asking that question, Vanessa.
3: Yeah, and I think also this this kind of spinning again of the narrative as Israel versus Hamas or even Israel against Gaza. It's not. It's Israel against the entire region, right? Yeah. One, but it's also let's bring it down to the Hamas uh, canard, because you know Hamas is only one of the resistance factions fighting against uh, the Zionist entity inside Gaza and in West Bank. There are, um, I think there's around 17 resistance factions inside Gaza. And by the way, they're not all Islamist either. Right, (laughs) There are Christian uh, reactionaries against the Zionist entity. There are socialist communists, the PFLP, and the PFLP is fighting inside Gaza. They're actually uh, on the ground in their fighting. There are multiple factions. But of course, the, the, the kind of, for me, what, what happened when they used the, the kind of the Hamas uh, narrative is that they opened up a lot of confusion yeah. because everybody knows that uh, for, for, for Israel and particularly for Netanyahu, Hamas were beneficial because they created a split between uh, the Palestinian resistance factions, right? So between um, basically the... Oh, and uh, Hamas, so, so that's one thing. So there's been a lot of confusion over whether um, the entire operation was managed by Israel and Hamas were carrying out their bidding, right? Now, the political wing in Doha, Qatar, I mean, there is a history of uh, their actually betraying the resistance axis, including Syria. The Hamas leadership under the the payment of Qatar were responsible for much of the destabilization in Syria, but in 2017 onwards, President Assad decided that the unification of the resistance factions for Palestine was beneficial, and so therefore he normalized relations with Hamas leadership. Some of the Hamas leadership have been sidelined, like Khaled Mashal, who was one of the most uh, vehement pro-Qatar, pro-Muslim Brotherhood leaders within Hamas. But the armed resistance on the ground, I've met them. I met them when I was there in 2012 and 2013. They're kind of the boys next door, you know. (laughs) They're the kids that grew up out of the 2008-2009 sled operation when, again, Israel committed appalling atrocities against the people of Gaza and so the resistance now is a product of previous Zionist atrocities and ethnic cleansing. And that's the cycle that the Zionist regime maintains since, as you mentioned, 1948, but actually even before 1948, starting with the creation. Of the Zionist movement, which, by the way, was described as Jews by by Jews as being another anti-Semitic cult <laughs> when it when it was established. Yeah, hundred percent, and that's what's so, um, you, know, um, so idea... you know, the idea. you know that.
1: Yeah.
3: No, go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So yeah, you know, as you said, this didn't come out of a vacuum. This came out no. of uh, almost a century. Of dispossession, uh, land grab, uh, ethnic cleansing, rape, <laughs> everything that, is, that Hamas has been accused of. Yes. That is basically yes. what the Zionists have been doing for Thank you. nearly a century. It's yeah, total and I keep projection on behalf I keep of saying China. every
1: Israeli accusation is actually a confession. Everything that they are accusing uh Gaza mm-hmm. and Hamas of doing is something that they have already done themselves or are currently doing. And we know that it's been reported for years and years and years and years. And I'm so glad that you brought up uh things like the rape allegations because um uh you know that that has been happening in Israeli prisons to the people of Palestine for a very long time. Um and they've been very open about yeah. it. That's another thing that drives me nuts is Israel's never been shocked about their plans. And so all of these people out here clutching their pearls over using the word genocide, they've been talking about this for a very long time. And it's not like they've ever been shy about their intentions. And also, um, I'm glad that you brought up that these are the kids of previous atrocities because that's that's how this cycle perpetuates and so anybody who's trying to claim that Israel has to do this in order to end Hamas that's not how you do it this is how you make sure that Hamas or another iteration of Hamas another iteration of the resistance movement continues in perpetuity that's how you make sure that that happens is you just continue to brutalize these people and refuse any, uh, any attempts at diplomacy whatsoever and that's again people keep saying well they should try diplomatic avenues they have
3: <laughs> you know what I mean uh, yeah like the grand march t- uh, the March of Return yes. in 2018, when hundreds of Palestinians uh, were wounded and killed, including a female paramedic. Yep. you know this is this is the thing I've had this so many times. Why don't they protest peacefully? Well, how do you expect yes. them to protest peacefully when they're inside a concentration camp? I'm not being funny, but would you have told? The Jews in the Nazi concentration camps that they should protest peacefully against what was happening to them. Exactly. You know, I know, I. Uh, they, you know, people hate these kind of comparisons. But, you know, the other day, I was looking at the, the fact that in the UK now, the Metropolitan Police is basically doxing people that are holding up yes. placards, showing the um, comparison between the humiliation of civilian prisoners, stripping them naked, burying some of them in sand and then releasing them before they die, this kind of thing, or strapping explosives to 15-year-old kids, forcing them to walk through a tunnel with a, with a GoPro camera on their head. And if they were to, to see a resistance fighter on the camera, they would explode the 15-year-old boy, right? Right. Yeah. And if you look at the history of Nazi persecution, not only of Jews, but also of communists, of Romanies, of Poles, and so on, the the key factor was humiliation of those ethnic, uh, you know, considered to be unspeakables, untouchables, and completely dehumanized. So it's completely justified to compare what the Nazis did to what the Zionists are doing right now. You know, yes. and I'm not going to back down on that. And by no, the way, these anti, anti-Semitic claims, Ugh. the major- I, I would guarantee the, the, the majority of Zionist Israelis are not Semites.
2: Palestinians
3: right? are Semites. The original Sephardic Jews, the, the Orthodox Jews that support Palestine, the Mizrahim, as they're called by the Zionists, because they consider them actually to be lesser Jews. Right. <laughs> They're yeah. as persecuted to some degree as the Palestinians and uh, uh, Christians and the Palestinian Muslims. But very yes. few, if you look at the origins of the majority of the leadership in Israel, it's from places like Ukraine and Bosnia, Poland. And yeah. They're not Semites. Yeah. No.
1: No, Netanyahu, I think is from <laughs> Poland. I mean, and he's, he, what's so frustrating yeah. to me, too, is that he's not even particularly religious. And in fact, the people that it, it created Zionism weren't really particularly religious. This has no, never really been about religion. Yeah, they're atheists. It, this secular. has always it's been a about secular
3: political. Yeah, yeah. It's a secular it's not, political movement.
1: The comparison between Zionism and Judaism is so unbelievably disgusting to me. To compare a genocidal political ideology to a thousands year old religion uh, is so unbelievably gross to me. And I think that it is so cynically used, but frankly, I think that that, the veil has been lifted. It's not, I don't think it's effective anymore. I think previously people uh, were afraid to speak against Israel because they didn't wanna be labeled an anti-Semite. But I think that now people are, I, I think people have now started to see, and I wanna, we have to take a break, but I wanna talk to you about this Because I think it's unbelievably important. I think that, as you mentioned earlier, the journalists in Gaza um, who unbelievably courageous. I can't even wrap my, heads around, my head around what they're facing, um, but I think it's because of the work of people like that um, and because of social media and being able to debunk things in real time and for people to see what's happening in real time that Israel is now losing the PR campaign. But let's take a quick break. We'll be right back here on TNT Radio.
0: Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Uh, the latest leftist attacks against Donald Trump claim he's going to be a dictator in a second Trump administration. And Chris Wallace on CNN playing along. Uh, uh, put the question to Raihan Salam of National Review. So, Raihan, is Donald Trump a dictator-in-waiting or is he just playing one? Well, look, what he was saying in that moment is something very similar to what Barack Obama said back in 2014. At his first cabinet meeting, he said, I've got a pen and I've got a phone. And what he meant by that is that if Congress does not do what I want them to do, I can sign executive actions and I can use my phone to rally outside groups to create pressure on Congress to get things done. And this is what he was just referring to. I'm gonna be working with Congress where I can to accomplish this. But I'm also gonna act on
2: my own uh, if uh, Congress is deadlocked. I've got a pen to take executive actions where Congress won't, and I've got a telephone to rally
0: folks around the country on this mission. Executive orders, rallying people via the the phone, sounds a little dictatorial to me. Uh, Context and perspective, they are fake news killers. Thanks for giving me a minute, I'm Steve Malzberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. The Kids Cancer Project funds vital research into childhood cancers. And you fund the Kids Cancer Project. Funding research means giving children back their lives. And who knows what kids with cancer could grow up to do. The Kids Cancer Project. Survival starts with science. Donate now.
1: The Kids Cancer Project.
0: You're with Misty Winston on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT.
1: All right. We're here joined by Vanessa Bailey. We're talking about Israel, Palestine. And just before the break, I mentioned that I wanted to speak to you about, um, we talked a little bit about very briefly earlier about the uh, unbelievably courageous journalists who are on the ground in Gaza. And I wanted to get your take on this because I've been saying um, since this thing kicked off that in my opinion, Israel is absolutely losing the PR war this time. Um, I think that they have exposed themselves. They've been caught in dozens of lies just since October 7th. We're not even talking about the dozens, hundreds, thousands, of lies they've been caught in over the decades. Um but the dozens of lies that they've been caught in just since October 7th, I think that we are seeing obviously millions of people in the street in support of Palestine. I genuinely think that Israel is losing at least the PR war. Um would you agree with that and do you think that it is I have a theory that I think it's because with social media and with people being able to in real time expose what's actually happening on the ground uh that it's a little bit it's obviously more difficult for Israel to control the narrative. Um, um, and uh, so I think that the, the, everything is falling apart for them on that front.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you go back to 2008, and uh, eight, nine, and to cost Lead, they didn't actually allow any journalists into the strip at all. Um, So, you know, there there were a huge number of atrocities that I think were carried out that were not revealed until much later, you know, when various agencies managed to get in and then they were gathering testimony. So, yeah, I mean, right now that's the the horrifying thing. We're we're literally seeing what is going on real time. And that includes today there were reports um, with testimony of the execution of babies and, and pregnant women in one of the hospitals in, I think it's in Jabalia, in the north. Um, and obviously they hadn't evacuated and, and they were shot at close range, including babies. Uh, and, but I think, yes, Israel is definitely losing the PR war. To a degree, I think we reached a point where they don't care. It's a yeah. bit like uh, the U.S. in Ukraine You know, it's the same thing, people were just scratching their heads saying "Well, like what on earth are you doing, like why are we not negotiating peace? Like right now, why is the US vetoing peace in the UN Security Council? Every single freaking American should be up in arms about this, you know? If your leadership is actually vetoing peace, what does that say about your country? And they've right. just released a war budget for 2024 of $886 billion. $886 billion, just let that sink in. And how much of that is heading to Israel with, with the fact that the US is looking to escalate? You know, there's now this narrative that, that Israel is calling on the UN to enforce resolution 1701 from the 2006 war and against uh, Lebanon and to push Hezbollah back to the north of the Latani River. So they're provoking Hezbollah into escalation also. Because why? Because effectively what they want to do eventually is to, is to uh, achieve greater Israel. And what does that mean? That means the destruction or the, or the complete genocide and ethnic cleansing of Palestine. So it's completely under the control of Israel, which is nothing more than a military garrison of the U.S. in the Middle East. Uh, And then the destruction of Lebanon, the destruction of Syria, the destruction of Iraq and eventually confrontation with Iran and and in between, of course, Yemen. I mean, Yemen that has taken the most principled stand against Israel and and is being really the most effective because it has the control of the Babel-Mandeb Straits. So it's in a perfect geographic position to really affect and really hurt Israel, and of course, by Israel, I mean, by default, the US, directly, if you look at the map of where now the ships have to go, I mean, it's like, you know, (laughs) 10 times the journey that it was before. And now they're actually targeting ships that are refusing to stop and are heading towards Israel, they're targeting them. So of course, what is this going to do? It's going to justify recrimination and collective punishment of the Yemeni people by the U.S. and by Israel. At the moment, you're seeing the kind of, I call it the good cop, bad cop routine. You know, the Mm -hmm. U.S. is Mm -hmm. claiming it's trying to calm Israel down. Of course it isn't. It's supplying tens of thousands of tons of, of bombs of all variety to be used against, like, you know, missiles that doctors have never seen wounds of the like before. So they're experimenting also they're selling weapons sure. on the back of genocide.
1: Yes, right? for sure. And, and, and that important. was like Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken saying that, you know, oh we care about the people of Palestine and we're going to we need we're sending them humanitarian aid. My guy, you cannot give Israel the bombs that they are using to completely obliterate the people of Gaza and then send some band-aids and bottled water and call it even. That's not how that works. Yeah, but there,
3: where is the aid? I mean, there was a there was a, this disgusting right? video of Samantha Power standing in front of a military jet think about green environment and all the rest of it right talking about the aid in al-arish there's no aid there's a desert where's the aid why isn't she standing in front of tons and tons and tons of aid ready to go into gaza but egypt's also responsible for this i mean i saw this in 2012 when i was there under the israeli aggression egypt compounds the suffering of the Palestinian people, right? Um, I mean, back then they they were flooding the tunnels with sewage, the tunnels to go out to to Egypt through Rafah. <laughs> um, people that were trying to leave for care were being uh, shot at and pushed back. And even if they made it to the El Arish hospitals, my friend there in 2012 told me he said it's horrible. They're dying in the corridors because no one is taking care of them. Yeah. Right. So, you know, Palestine is really alone in this, apart from, of course, Hezbollah in the north that is at least maintaining a kind of low-grade intensity uh, war there to to keep some of the Israeli battalions uh, occupied. Syria, of course, is opening up its territory for various resistance factions, including the Islamic resistance and even Palestinian factions in the south to fire on the Jolan occupied territories, for example but of course what's happening? Syria's getting bombed you know, we're getting bombed every two or three days but no one's talking about it I mean, they assassinated two uh, Iranian commanders who were here um, to advise the resistance they were assassinated, I think, about a week ago to the south of Damascus in a bombing uh, raid by, by Israel so it's, it's, you know, I see people all the time, well, you know, none of the Arab countries are doing anything. Well, they kind of are, but because they know that the escalation is on the books, they're trying to contain it. They're trying to actually outmaneuver and prevent that strategy coming into play. And one yes. other thing that I just wanted to say is on the ground, Israel is losing the war in Gaza, by the way, yeah, on the ground. Yes. And uh, th- what Israel is good at is indiscriminately targeting women and children. That's what it's always been good at, on yeah. the ground and in the air. And from the sea and from helicopters and from drones and you know, <laughs> they use tanks. Um, that's what they're good at. But actually when it comes to, to fighting armed resistance that in an urban warfare situation where the resistance has control of, of the underground, they're losing. They're losing. The casualty count is way higher than they're publicizing. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they're losing on all fronts, but, but, but yeah. the fact is that they have how many superpowers behind them? This is what people need to understand. This isn't about Israel. <laughs> it's about no. preventing breaks. It's about preventing Iran, or, or Iran having any kind of nuclear development. Um, China, Russia, Iran... And control, full control of the Middle East and resources in the Middle East.
1: Well, it's never about what they say it's about, right? I mean, any time there is, I mean, all of, and that's what's so frustrating is that grown adults still don't understand the concept that war is a lie. I mean, war is a racket. Smedley Butler told us that ages ago. Julian Assange has been telling us that for decades. I mean, it is always, we are always lied into these situations. This is no different. I can name off dozens of examples. The Gulf of Tonkin, weapons of mass destruction, the Syrian gas attacks. I mean, you can just go on and on and on where these situations are never, I mean, uh, Ukraine, uh, really? really you're we still pretending like that was about (laughs) democracy of course it's not it's never about democracy or humanitarian rights or um sovereignty or any of that crap that they try to pretend that it is it's never about that it is always about power and resources and control that's all and money that's all it's ever about and that this is the situation is no different um and so it's very frustrating that um and I think it's just really because uh for decades Israel has been so effective at propagandizing people they have had full control over the narrative they basically own and operate Western media. Um, and they would just tell them what to say, what to print, what to show, and they would do it. And so I think so many people in the West were just completely um, uneducated about what is actually happening. Most people don't have historical context. And I think that now, now since October 7th, I think a lot of that has been stripped away. I've seen numerous people, um, you know, admit that I got this wrong. Like I was so wrong. I've seen so many people who are like, I'm Jewish. I was a Zionist. I was wrong. Uh, and I think that that's, I don't I just don't know to what effect that that's going to have. And I think that you're right, though. I think that I've I've seen a lot of people complaining that why aren't these other countries doing anything to protect Palestine? I think that that's that's not the right move. I think that you have to be very careful here. You have to be very strategic because that's what Israel wants. They want yeah, a bunch of countries really. to get involved. You know what I mean? And it, yeah, it's not a good plan.
3: They have to. Well, be. Well, very- I think it's also, you know, people in the West have kind of forgotten what sovereignty means, because it's been violated so often by (laughs) Western (laughs) regimes, right? I think really people have just forgotten what it means, because I've heard this for years, you know, why doesn't Russia bomb Israel if Israel bombs Syria? Look, no other country can act from inside Syria without the express permission of the Damascus government. So if the Damascus government gave permission to Iran, for example, to retaliate to Israel, they would do it. But they don't give permission because they know that this will just bring, you know, hell down on the heads of the Syrian people that are living under sanctions, under blockade, with uh, hostile occupation on almost all sides of uh, Syrian borders, right? It's impossible. So what they are doing is playing a very kind of long game, strategic game. And as I said, opening up territory for for the various resistance factions to use to target Israel, for example. And I mean, President Assad put through the the strongest proposal at the emergency summit at the Arab League. But of course, it was boycotted by or rather vetoed by Saudi Arabia and Jordan and, and, you know, what I call the the traitor states, basically the traitors yeah. to to the pan Arab uh, vision, really. Um, and so, it's a it's a very tenuous game at the moment. It's it's a very difficult game. And unfortunately, I was talking with a couple of people today here, and and you know, honestly, the the U.S. is hell bent on escalation. Yeah, and it's hell bent on on this. Um, eventual destruction of all of these countries and complete uh, erosion, erasure of history, right? And so coming back to the sovereignty thing also is Hezbollah and, and Syed Nasrallah have made it very clear. While the Palestinian resistance are managing the situation, we will not interfere. They haven't put the hand up and said, okay, we need help on the ground inside West Bank and, and yeah. Gaza. And, you know, people will say, yeah, but, you know, this, the, all these atrocities are the fault of Hamas. If Hamas didn't uh, fight the Zionist entity, then they wouldn't be bombing all of these civilians. That's nonsense. Have you seen one single Palestinian, even the most terribly injured, even the, you know, the most miserable, displaced, um, just like traumatized people, you won't hear them criticize the resistance. And again, I'm not only talking about Hamas. And when you see images of the resistance coming uh, into the open, so to speak, when images were released, what did you see? You saw complete adoration for them, particularly from kids. Because, you know, the people (laughs) know what the stakes are. As a friend of mine, Yusuf uh, Al-Jamal, a journalist that I met in 2012, he wrote an article very recently. And he said, you know, heaven is closer to us than the Sinai. In other words, you know, the Gazan people are not going to leave
1: their land, not again, not again. No, and I think that somebody, I, oh, I don't remember who said it, but somebody was commenting on uh, the trauma that both Israeli and Palestinian kids will suffer. And I really hope that the grownups involved in this situation understand. And the people of Palestine absolutely understand. And that is exactly why yeah. they're fighting. They are the kids that have been dealing with this situation. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the, I mean, they for uh, generations, they have now grown up in, in this impossible situation. And again, like I said earlier, that's how you make sure that this kind of armed resistance uh, continues in perpetuity is by continuing mm-hmm. to brutalize these people. Um, So, okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time, Vanessa. Thank you so much. I know it's very late there. I appreciate you staying up late. Um, Please stay safe. I know you're in, uh, you know, dangerous circumstances (laughs) always makes my heart flutter a little bit. I always worry about you. So please stay safe. Um, uh, I know that you're on... um, uh, Substack, that's your big place. So everybody go check out Substack also on Telegram. And you can also follow Vanessa on Twitter. Um, YouTube's a little shaky as it is with anybody who speaks truth to power. Uh, but as always, you can find links to all of Vanessa's stuff over <laughs> on my Substack. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I appreciate you go to sleep. It is late there. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with another show for you. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shays right after this here on TNT radio.